0: Good morning, Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church. So good to uh, be seen by you again. So good to have you worshiping with us. Wasn't it great to sing? I hope you got to sing. I hope you sang in your your living room. We are a singing people. God's people are a singing people. We have lots to rejoice about. Uh, We have lots to celebrate. And so I hope that you were were blowing the roof off there on victory in Jesus uh, this morning. Now, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 23. We're going to be looking at Luke 23. Uh, verses 32 through 43, uh, the passage of the thief on the cross. So while while you're turning there in your Bibles, uh, let me just tell you a couple things. First of all, uh, we are still the church. Uh, We're we're still uh, doing ministry in our community. Uh, I know uh, I stopped by my house uh, before I came up here to live stream, and uh, one of our members had dropped uh, palm branches and a little kind of Palm Sunday kit on our porch, and uh, I know you're reaching out to your neighbors, I've, I've heard stories, I've heard uh, ministry stories about how you're, you're serving our community, thank you, thank you for, for praying for our community, thank you for praying for our doctors and our nurses, and I know we have kind of a prayer event scheduled this Wednesday coming up uh, in, in cars around the hospital. So that, that's all coming up, but we're, we're still operating our benevolence ministry. Uh, it's as busy as ever. We're still operating our food pantry. Uh, many of you have dropped by, dropped food by the church. Uh, um, you, you can drop your giving by. I've had that question a lot. Uh, you can drop by, you can mail it to us. We have online, just go to our website. You can give in that way. Uh, but we are still, we are still the church and, uh, you are still God's people. Uh, be watching this week. This week is the week leading up to Easter and, uh, we're going to have uh, our four guys, all, all four of our pastors are going to be uh, uh, leaving sermons online. They're going to be uh, live streaming sermons leading up to Easter. Uh, we're still putting content up for trying to help you with children's ministry and youth ministry. I know Pastor Dan's uh, pirate video uh, hit hit the web yesterday. I watched it yesterday. Uh, I, th- I think that's, that's as good as Outback Jack. I, I tell you this, I'm really interested. In, what, what's the pirate's name? Um, Pirate Pete, Pirate Pete, I'm, I'm interested in, in hearing more from Pirate Pete, and so that's online, check that out, um, keep serving the Lord, um, God's doing great things. Okay, I want you to notice uh, in your passage today, Luke chapter 23, we're going to begin reading, we're kind to jump in, uh, kind of in the middle of the narrative of the cross, I'm going I'm to jump in reading at verse 32 uh, through verse 43, okay, here we go, two others who were criminals... ...were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others... Let him save himself, if he's the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. You will be with me in paradise. Father in heaven, we thank you for the incredible grace that we see in this passage. And Father, we we praise you this morning for the incredible grace that you have shown to us. God, I know that uh, all throughout our church and all throughout those that that are listening, there there are men and women and students whom you have called to yourself, whom you have enabled to see your glory, whom, whom you have opened their eyes to see The beauty and and the strength and the power and the grace and the mercy of King Jesus. Father, thank you for bringing us a life. Thank you for joining us to the resurrected Christ. And Father, I I pray today as we look at this picture of the gospel, as we look at the gospel in action in this passage, Father, that, that we might be spurred on. God, to live obediently, to live on mission, to take this gospel, a gospel that, that transforms a thief and brings him from the gates of hell to the gates of heaven. Father, we might bring that to our world. Father, speak to us, God. Holy Spirit, we ask you to move in homes all across our congregation this morning. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so you'll notice in our text today, we've got three dying men, Okay. Three dying men, three men who within hours will, will be dead, they'll leave this earth. The man in the middle, of course, is Jesus. Uh, the man in the middle is, is the eternal God who stepped out of the heavens and into human flesh. Uh, the eternal God who stepped out of the heavens into the womb of a virgin, born into poverty and obscurity in a barn in a backwoods town in the middle of nowhere to teenage parents the eternal God who stepped out of the heavens and into humanity and lived the perfect life, a life of complete obedience to God, of complete delight and and enjoyment of God, Uh, a a man who who clearly demonstrated in his life on earth his power and his authority over death and over demons and over disease. This is Jesus. And though innocent, of any crime and wrongdoing, Jesus is now submitting to the will of God and dying for the sins of those who would be joined to him. Now, let me give you a little bit of context on what's happened up to verse 32 and what's going to happen after verse 32, okay? So the context of this passage is Jesus on the, cru- on the cross being crucified. So in this passage, Jesus has already experienced more suffering and agony than any man has ever endured. Now, not that other men haven't been crucified or not that other men haven't died in a similar painful, torturous death as Jesus did, but no other man has borne the sins of the world like Jesus. No other man has been God incarnate, taking on himself the sins of human flesh. Jesus is in a category all by himself here. In this passage, Jesus has been betrayed by his closest friends. He's been falsely accused. He's experienced again and again blatant injustice. He's been reviled and railed at by powerful men. Jesus has been beaten and humiliated and toyed with and taunted by wicked men. He's been scorched. He's been tortured. He's beyond exhaustion. And he's experiencing or about to experience an utter aloneness and a separation from God that no man this side of eternity has ever experienced. And it's in this context. That Jesus interacts. I mean, that's amazing to me, first of all, that it's in that context that Jesus interacts with two hardened criminals placed on either side of him. Luke calls these men criminals. Matthew calls them robbers. We know that Roman crucifixion was reserved for the, the worst of criminals. And so most likely these were murderous men. These were repeat offenders. These were the kind of guys who would break into a home and murder a family and take their possessions. What, whatever they were, whatever they'd done, they were bad dudes. They, they, had, they had lived a bad life. And, and in Matthew 27, it says that both of them started to mock and revile Jesus. Okay? So Matthew says that at the beginning at least, both of these men, the one on the right and the one on the left, both of these men were reviling. They were mocking. They were joining the crowd as they hung there. As the final minutes of their lives ticked away, they they were mocking Jesus. If you're the son of God, then save yourself. If you're the son of God, then save us. Prove it. If you say you're the king. And then as they hung there, Both of them, each being on either side of Jesus, have equal access to Jesus. And so both of them have an opportunity to see the character of Jesus and to hear the words of Jesus. And in that context, something miraculous happens to one of these men. Now, there's no way to know how much these guys knew about Jesus. Um, we, We know that they both know that he's the Christ or that he claims to be the Christ. Uh, they say that. They, they, they say that in, in the text. You know, they, hey, if you're the Christ, if you, if you say that you're the Christ. So we, we don't know how much else they knew. We, we don't know if they heard the talk, the buzz about a healer, about someone who spoke with authority, someone who cast out demons, someone who raised the dead. It's clear that they had they, heard that Jesus was the Christ. It's clear that they could probably see the sign above Jesus' cross that said, this is the King of the Jews. Uh, we know at least seven things they heard from Jesus' mouth on the cross. Both of them lived after Jesus. Jesus died first. And so we know that everything that's recorded in the scripture that Jesus said from the cross, they would have heard. So in John 19, 26 and 27, they would have heard Jesus tell John to take care of his mother In Matthew 27, 46, they would have heard Jesus say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In John 19, 28, they would have heard Jesus say, I thirst. In John 19, 30, they would have heard him cry out, it is finished. In in Luke 23, right after this passage, they would have heard Jesus say, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And then later on, they would have heard Jesus say to the one thief, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. But it's interesting that the the, the phrase that comes right before his interaction with these two thieves is found in verse 34. And it says, as Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I have to believe that Luke put that in this text for a reason. I think the order of it is, is, is probably intentional. These men had just experienced some of the same brutality that Jesus had experienced, maybe not to the degree that Jesus experienced it. But here you have Jesus crying out to God on behalf of the men who had just brutally beaten him, who had mocked him, who had falsely accused him, who had lied about him, who had dealt him this terrible injustice. Jesus has been the victim of, of, of incredible suffering at the hands of wicked men. And here he is, both thieves hear him call out to God for mercy on these men's lives. Now, don't let, don't let, that, don't let that slip by you as being a small thing. You know, I don't know about you, but I have a hard time being kind even to those who aren't kind to me. Uh, I try very hard to be like Jesus. I try to depend on the Holy Spirit and live by faith in those things. But but, but, let's just be honest. For most of us, even small insults, even, even small instances of injustice make it very difficult for us to be spiritually minded. I had an experience yesterday. I had to believe this was God's providence for uh, this morning, but I had experience yesterday where uh, a man uh, called me an idiot and, and he called me another name too. I don't want to say it, uh, not because it's a, a worse word or it's a bad word, I'm just afraid the junior high boys in our church will get a hold of it and uh, I'll be known as pastor that. So I, I, I'm just going to leave that out, I, I don't even know exactly what he meant by it, uh, it is a derogatory term, but I don't know exactly what it is. Uh, but I, I, was, I was praying with some guys this morning, and uh, they were talking about it, and, and we were kind of laughing about it, and, and I said, I don't even know what that means. And, and the one guy said, Pastor, I think he was saying you're a little bit wimpy. And so, uh, anyway, I, I don't know what it means, but but idiot was one thing, and then then let's just say wimpy. That wasn't the word, but let's just say wimpy was the, the other thing. And man, I mean, I feel like I was prayed up, and I feel like I was I was ready, and I felt you know. But I, I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, there 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 was a little bit of hey, I, I didn't deserve that. Hey, I, I mean, who are you to 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 say that to me? And can you imagine? The king of kings, the king of glory, the creator of the universe, the one who gave these men their mouth to speak is hanging on a cross, dying for their sins, and he's being reviled by them. And in the midst of that, these two thieves see Jesus plead to God for mercy, for forgiveness for what they do. Now, both men witness the words of Jesus. Both men witness the character of Jesus Both men see this, and for the first man, it has zero impact. He is literally a a few feet from the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and nothing. He hears Jesus' words. He sees a man act in supernatural ways. He sees a man exercising supernatural forgiveness. And, and there's there's nothing, I would say, worse than nothing. In verse 39, it says he joins in the mocking. It says he railed at Jesus saying, you know, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. He didn't call on, on Jesus to save him from, from, from his sins. He calls on Jesus to get him down from the cross. Hey, mockingly, if you're really the Christ, then get us down. It's interesting that in verse 35, you can look at it, verse 37 and verse 39 three times, three different groups of people tell Jesus, if you are the son of God, then then come down off the cross. You know, there's there's a great lesson there. I I think most people want a God who acts like them. For most folks, they're like, well, you know, if he's really God, he would do what I would do. If, If he's really God, then he would save himself. I mean, the reality is that if Jesus does what they're asking him to do to prove his divinity, then every last man, woman, and child in every generation would die and go to hell. If he does come off the cross, he's not the Savior of the world. Essentially what they're saying is, if you're God, then do what I want. If you're God, then then be who who I want you to be. That's essentially what they're saying. There's probably people today who function sort of like that. Maybe you're listening here this morning, and you're a little bit of a skeptic. You're not sold in. You're not bought in. You're not sold out to Christ. You're not a follower. And and maybe you're saying, well, you know what? If if you're God, then then stop the virus. If you're God, then fix the economy. If you're God, then then get me my job back. Basically, if if you're God, then then do what I say. And I, I would just tell you this morning, that's a terrible way to think about God. The thing about God in terms of you can only prove your divinity if you do what I want is essentially saying you just don't believe. That's just unbelief. That's just basically believing you're God and you're trying to get Jesus to be your servant. You're trying to get him to be your employee. So the first thief, he, he does call out to Jesus there in verse 39 saying, one of the criminals who were hanged railed against him saying, are, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But it's not, it's not, a, it's not a cry of faith. He doesn't repent. He doesn't admit his sin. He doesn't praise God. He doesn't delight in God. He doesn't surrender. He basically says, all right, if you're God, prove it by getting me down so I can live today and continue in sin tomorrow. Friends, I think there's a great lesson in this first man, this first thief. I think the great lesson in this first thief is this, that you should not put your trust in deathbed repentance. Now, now hold on, hold on. Does Jesus radically save people in the last moments of life? Absolutely. Yes, yes. Uh, I mean, praise God for his incredible grace, okay? We're going to get to that here in just a minute. He, he does it, and he's still doing it. You know, should, should you call on people to trust Christ on their deathbed? Yes, you should. Should you visit people in the hospital and read scripture to them and display to them the glory of Christ and pray for them, their eyes to be open to see who he is and how much he loves? Yes, you should. Yes, you should. You should never stop speaking the gospel and praying for the work of the Holy Spirit in somebody's life. But but I want you to notice that here's a man who hangs next to the Son of God in his final moments of life, and he cannot find repentance. Repentance. He's got no place for humility. You would think that if there were ever a time he would be thinking about spiritual things. You would think if there were ever a time that he would be contemplating eternity. You would think it would be now. But he's not. He's not. He's angry. He's in pain. He's bitter. And he's about to enter hell. The final moments of his life are spent in unbearable suffering. But there'll be a ray of sunshine compared to the darkness that he's about to step into. And that he will never, never, ever step out of. It's interesting that we have no recorded words, really, from Jesus to this man specifically. Friends, don't wait. Don't assume that you can put off dealing with your sin until another time. Don't, don't assume that there, there's someday in the future that, that, that it's all going to come together and that, 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 that you can then put your trust in Christ. That There'll be a better day other than today. Don't count on that there'll be another day, that there'll be another opportunity. Hebrews has this continual refrain in it. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 and 8, it says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Today, if you hear his voice. Implied there is, if if you hear his voice today and you put it off. If you hear his voice right now on, on your couch and you're convicted of your sin and you see the glory of Christ, but you're like, well, it's just not today. I've got other things going. I don't know how it would impact this or that. I, 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 I'm, I'm prideful. I, I, I don't want to humble myself. Don't put off dealing with your sins. I was reading with some guys this week, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, and it describes people whose consciences are seared. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? whose whose consciences are seared. In other words, they they were people who who turned off God. They were people who heard the word of God and and shut it off. They were people who heard the word of God. They were convicted by the Holy Spirit, and they said, no. They they said, no, no, I'm not going to obey. I'm not going to yield. Not yet. They probably said, not yet. And Paul says to Timothy that there are men whose whose consciences are are like, they've had a hot iron put to them. And they no longer feel conviction. Scripture says today, if you hear his voice, today. If the conviction of the Holy Spirit is upon you today, if you see that Jesus is king, that he's Lord, then trust him. Call out to him. Put your faith in him. Repent of your sin today. That's exactly what the second thief does. Let's talk about this guy on the other side. Let's talk about this second criminal. Now, this is a guy who, who sees and hears physically everything that the first guy did. He's on the other side of Jesus. He heard the seven sayings of Jesus from the cross. He, he heard what the crowd was saying about Jesus. He knew that Jesus claimed to be the Christ. He claimed to be the Messiah. He heard Jesus forgiving those who were who were putting him to death. But this guy, this guy sees and hears on a spiritual level. Sensing that, that Paul, when he writes in the epistles, he talks about the eyes of your heart. He he talks about seeing things on a on a spiritual level. That's exactly what happens with this second criminal. Notice in verse 40, he fears God. It says, but the other, the other criminal, rebuked him. He rebuked the first criminal, <clears throat> saying, Do you not fear God? Do you not fear God? Look, look at his reasoning. Okay, he says, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation and we indeed justly. This, this guy is, he is, he's thinking about spiritual things. If you were here last week, you know, we talked about the fear of God. We talked about how, how many people are only consumed with the physical, only consumed with the right now, only consumed with how people think of them or their health or their, their, their financial state, but they're not consumed with the big reality of their spiritual condition. This guy is. He is. The first criminal's lack of fearing God is mind-blowing. Right? I I had to ask myself, you know, you've got this guy here in in verse 39 who it says one of the criminals were hanged, railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. I, I had to ask myself, is this guy so full of pride that even as he is dying, He's looking for ways to put other people down and exalt exalt himself. He's looking for ways to join this crowd that's crucifying him to make fun of a guy. Is he so completely consumed with finding a way to save his physical life? Is his heart so hard that he cannot find any hope that there's anything beyond this life? But this second guy, it would seem, you'll notice, what he cares about. What he cares about is being with Jesus. You'll, you'll notice this second man, doesn't he doesn't ask for anything physical. The other man says, the first man says, hey, if you're God, then get me off this cross. The second man never, never, never asked anything about that. Number two, this second criminal acknowledges his sin and that he deserves to die. You'll notice he doesn't argue that he's a good person or that he's done some good things or that he's better than others or that his sin is someone else's fault. He doesn't justify his sin. He doesn't minimize his sin. He doesn't ignore his sin. He simply says, I'm guilty. I, I deserve death. I deserve hell. Pastor Dan was talking we were right before the service and and he, and he said, you know, I think I'll put a, some kind of discussion question on there about what, what do you think you deserve? You know, for a lot of folks, I, I, think, I think they deserve, or they, they think they deserve a good life, a comfortable life, uh, um, for God to treat me, you know, give me all the pleasures and ease and, and comforts of this life. But is, is that what we deserve? This, this guy says, man, I, I know I deserve exactly what I'm getting. I know I deserve hell. I know I deserve the cross. I know I deserve deserve suffering. I'm a sinner. Thirdly, he acknowledges who Jesus is. Verse 41. He says, And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Essentially, he says, Jesus is righteous. Righteous. He's done nothing wrong. He's innocent. We deserve what we're getting, but not this man. Later in verse 42, when he says uh, to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, he's saying, Jesus, I know you're a king. I know you've got a kingdom. And then would, would you just notice for a moment, you know, a lot of people, when they talk about the thief on the cross, they say, man, you know, he, he became a Christian there in the last moments of, of his life, and, he, you know, he never does anything for God. He never, he's got no work. Man, I almost disagree with that. I know he didn't live very long, but this guy is publicly professing that Jesus Christ is righteous, that he's God, that he's the king, and that he's got a kingdom. He is publicly professing that in front of a crowd, in front of a hostile crowd, moments either during, before, right before, or after his conversion. It's hard to tell when he's actually converted, but 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 it's then this guy is bearing witness of Jesus' righteousness and kingship as he's being saved. You know, I, I talk to a lot of people who say, you know, I'm just not ready to share with you know share with other people about Jesus. I'm just not ready to give my testimony. Then, by the way, be looking at our, our Facebook page this week for some testimonies, for some conversion stories, some three minute testimonies from people in our conver- uh, in our congregation. But, you know, a lot of folks will say, how, how much do I need to know to be able to start sharing Jesus? Well, man, if, if, if you use this guy as an example, man, you, you don't need to know much. I mean, this guy's been a Christian a second. This, this guy's been a Christian, you know, moments. And he's already boldly proclaiming. He's already confronting sin in, in the man two, two crosses over. He's already already publicly giving his testimony that he's a man who's a sinner and deserves to die. He's already publicly professing that Jesus is king in the middle of the worst kind of suffering. Man, what an advantage we've got over this guy, huh? What an advantage we've got. We, we, We see the full record of revelation in the Scripture. You know, we see how the whole thousands of years of Old Testament history are all pointing to Jesus. We we see the incredible testimony of Jesus' earthly life, of of his demonstration of power over demons and disease and death and disasters. We see his cross and the meaning of it. We see the resurrection. We see that the tomb is empty. We see that Jesus is alive. We see the church moving through history. We see all of that. Are you saying as much publicly as this guy has? You've got all that. Many many of you have had the opportunity to be in church and in Sunday school. And... Are you bearing witness as this man did? What, what's this thief have to see physically? Well, you know what he's got to see? He's got to see a bloodied body hanging on a criminal's cross. A man that the Jews and the religious leaders condemned to be a, 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 an apostatizer, a, a liar, a fake, a fraud, those that the Romans were crucifying, a man so badly beaten and tortured that he couldn't carry his own cross to execution. I mean, how much easier would it have been for those people who were there when Jesus fed the 5,000? How much, how much easier would it have been for them to say, Oh, this is the king. He's got a kingdom. How how much easier would it have been if if you were at the cemetery when when Lazarus comes out and starts unbinding himself from from his grave clothes and asking for a sandwich? How much easier would it have been for those people to have professed Christ? But here this criminal, his picture of Jesus is, is a bloodied man on a cross, and he looks over, and with spiritual eyes to see, he says, that's my king. He's got a kingdom. There's the one who's more valuable than anything this earth has to offer. He sees it. The veil's been lifted. The Bible talks about this veil being over over a man's heart until the Holy Spirit opens his eyes to see the glory of Jesus. I want to ask you, have you seen the glory of Jesus? If you have, your life will be different. If you have, you you can't be the same. If you have, you 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 can't value the same things like you valued them before. All of a sudden, you you realize, as as Pirate Jack said yesterday, that Jesus is the greatest treasure. This man saw that. And he simply calls out. Maybe you're you're there on your couch this morning. You're asking, what do I do? I see. I see the glory of Jesus. I know that I'm a sinner. I know I deserve hell. I know I can't save myself. I know, I, 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 I know I've got no good works to offer. And I, and I see that Jesus is my Savior, that he came to live the perfect life I couldn't live and to die a death on the cross to pay for my sins. I see that. What do I do? I would say do exactly what the thief did. He called out, He called out to Jesus. Here's what he says. Verse 42, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He's he's not asking Jesus to recall him sometime in the future. You know, like I might recall my my daughter's wedding or a special vacation we had. Think back with nostalgia. That's not what he wants. He doesn't want Jesus someday in heaven to look back and say, I remember that thief. Yeah, whatever happened to him. No, it's not that kind of remember. This is the kind of remember that when the Bible says remember the poor, what's it saying? It's not saying, hey, recall that there are some poor people out there. No, it's saying Remember their plight and act. That's what he's asking Jesus to do. He's saying, Jesus, remember me. Remember me, a broken, thieving, wretch of a sinner. Remember me and God. Act. Act with your mercy. And would you do that today? Would would you call upon Jesus to remember? Remember you. Notice what, what he says. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's a great word there, isn't it? When. Not not if. Not, you know, hey, if you happen to really be. No, no. Jesus, I know you're the king and I know you're going to when you come. Remember me. Show mercy on me. It's interesting what he doesn't ask. He doesn't ask to come down from the cross. Not, not that Jesus wouldn't have the right to do that he didn't ask for it. He didn't ask to see his family again. He didn't ask Jesus to somehow stop the execution. He didn't ask Jesus to go back to his hometown, start a new life, open up a fishing business, have the dream he never had, maybe have a wife and kids, maybe settle down, make things right with his parents. He didn't ask for any of those things. The other guy, he's saying, if you're God, then do what I say. Do these things. Prove it. No, no, no. This man comes and says, Jesus, remember me. Show me mercy. I deserve what I'm getting. Show, show me. Bring me into your kingdom. I just, here's what he says. A sense of the thief is saying this. I just want to be with you. I, I just, I just want to be with you. Jesus, remember me. Remember me. Look at Jesus' reply, verse forty-three. And he said to him, "Truly, I say to you." Today, you will be with me in paradise. You know, we've been memorizing scripture. That ought to be one you memorize. That that ought to be a a verse that you put away in in your heart and treasure it. Here's Jesus' words. Here's the, the dying Jesus, the suffering Jesus, the Jesus that's bearing the sins of humanity. These are his words to a wretched thief today. Day, you'll be with me in paradise. Let's look at those words. He says, first of all, truly. In other words, what I say to you is the truth of God. And then, then he says, today. In other words, it's, it's happening right now. There, there's a supernatural miracle that's going to happen. There's a positional change for this thief. Now, you might, you might only think that Jesus is just speaking of of geography here, of, of, of where this man's going to be. I, I, I heard uh, Charles Spurgeon, I don't know if it's him or he's he quoting somebody, but he said, uh, this guy ate breakfast with the devil. You know, he had, he had lunch with Jesus, and he's going to have supper with him in heaven. And, and truly, there's a reality to the, to the, to the fact that, that Jesus is saying, you're going to be with me immediately in paradise. They're both leaving this earth. They're both leaving this world. And he's saying, today you're going to be with me. And we know that from the rest of Scripture. We know that when a believer exits this world, uh, I've done a lot of funerals for, for believers here in our church over the last 23 years, and there's not a doubt in my mind that when, when they take their last breath here, that they go to be in the presence of Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, Paul says that we'd rather be away from the body And at home with the Lord. In Revelation 6, 9 through 10, you you don't find martyrs in the grave. You find martyrs around the altar of the the throne of God. It says, the souls of those who have been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne, they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true. How long? They're they're, they're around the altar of God. They're they're not in the grave. At the Mount of Transfiguration, you find Moses and Elijah. They're not in the grave. They're, They're with Jesus. The story of the rich man and Lazarus. You find both men die and one is in torment and the other is at Abraham's side. The other one's with Abraham. But I I believe Jesus is saying more than simply when you close your eyes in death, you'll open them in glory. I think he is saying that. I think he's encouraging this guy that, man, you're you're, going to be with me today. Like like you're going to close out this day. You're going to die here on earth, and you're going to be with me in paradise today. I think he's saying that, but I think he's saying more than that. I think when Jesus says, today you'll be with me, I think he's he's describing this present reality that happens at the conversion of every born-again believer. When when, when the Bible speaks of, of our conversion, it speaks of a positional change in you. All right, now this is a little harder to understand. You got to look with spiritual eyes here, but let me read you a couple verses. Uh, First of all, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5 through 7, it says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved, and he he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's that's positionally true of every born-again believer. Once you are joined to Jesus by faith, there is a reality, a spiritual reality in which you are seated in the heavenly places. Whenever Paul's talking to the church at Colossae, he says in Colossians 3.1, he says, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated, at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you've died And your life is hidden with Christ in God. He's not saying they'd physically die. That hadn't happened yet. They had spiritually died. That's the picture of baptism. That's the picture of of you being united with Jesus in his death and his burial and his resurrection. And Paul is saying, man, the old you is gone and the new you is alive. And he says in verse 3 there, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is is your life appears, then you'll also appear with him in glory. So you have two things happening here. You have this promise of physical location change. Uh, You're going to be with me in paradise. But you have this promise of spiritual, positionally changing. Man, let's just just savor that for a second before we're done. Let's just savor that. Here's a criminal. Here's a a bad guy. Here's a guy that none of us would have wanted in our house. Here's a guy that that deserved to be in the penitentiary. He deserved to be in the electric chair. He's been bad. He's been foul his whole life. And he starts out this day being a a reviler of Jesus, a mocker of Jesus. And then just hours before his death, he repents. He sees the glory of Jesus. Jesus. He trusts that Jesus is the long awaited King of the universe. He calls out for mercy. He calls out believing that Jesus is his greatest treasure. And Jesus says, Today, you're with me. Today, I take your sin and you get righteousness with me. Today, I take your wrath and you get an inheritance with me. Today, I take your shame and you get glory with me. I take your hell, and you get heaven with me. Guys, that's grace. Isn't it? that's That's what we swim in. That's what we're immersed in, is this incredible, unfathomable grace of God who would take a wretch, and by His own righteousness, by His own goodness, because of His own glory, would bring us to be with him. If You're a believer. That's your story. That's your story. You you listen to the stories on our our Facebook page this week, and and, and you hear that's these people's story, and I want it to be your story. Lincoln, if if we believe this kind of grace, then we ought to be changed by this kind of grace. We should be a people that give this kind of grace, shouldn't we? we? We shouldn't be the people that, demand justice, that demand our way, that demand that we get our pound of flesh. We should, be, we should be people who stand in the grace of God, enjoying it, delighting in it, reveling in it, celebrating it. And we should be the people who give it away. Lincoln, let's be those kind of people. Pray with me, would you? Father in heaven, we, we thank you for this beautiful picture of the gospel. God, I pray that all across our our church that there would be people who who would be saying, this is my story. I'm that that second guy. I'm the guy who deserved hell and who God has changed, who God has transformed, who God has given heaven. Father, if there are some listening who are that, they're still the first guy. They're still saying, prove it. God, if there are those who are saying, God, if you're God, then do what I say. God, I pray that you just break their hearts this morning. God, bring, bring them conviction. Bring them a realization of, of their desperate need for a good and merciful king. Father, give them faith to believe. Open their eyes to see, to see the glory of Jesus and to put their faith in him today. Father, help, help us who have been saved by your grace. To be proclaimers of it. God, I pray that we would not have excuses. God, forgive us for our excuses of why why, why we we don't share the gospel. Father, if a, if a dying criminal suffering a, a, an agonizing torture can proclaim truth from the cross. Lord, I pray that we might proclaim it from our living rooms and from our workplaces and from our computers, and from our phones. Father, make us proclaimers of the gospel. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lincoln. Thank you for joining us and those who who jumped in online. Uh, man, church, I am praying for you. Uh, I'm praying for the, this season to pass and for us to be able to gather again. Uh, but until that time, we are the church. We are the church wherever we go. Be the church. Um, lead, lead your family. So. Dads, moms, uh, students, whoever you're gathered with, um, man, close this deal out with prayer. Uh, Maybe sing a hymn together. Uh, You can look them up online. You don't need a hymn book. They're they're all online. Uh, One that I was thinking of right before the service is uh, at the cross. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my soul rolled away. was there by faith. I received my sight. Now I'm happy all the day. I thought about singing that to you guys, but I'll I'll spare you that. Uh, Sing together. Uh, join together in worship, join together in prayer. We should have some uh, discussion questions coming online soon. Look for those. Be on our Facebook page or one of the pastor's Facebook pages. Um, We'll see you next week, church, if not before. We love you. Thank you.